0: Hello, this is Aaron Wren, and welcome back to the podcast. I know it has been quite a while since I've recorded a podcast, probably since last summer. Um, I guess you could sort of say maybe I've discontinued the podcast. Uh, I never intended it to be on a regular schedule, as you know, uh, but that was quite a hiatus. Um, I, I'll probably continue to do uh, things here and there, uh, especially as I'm on other programs or podcasts that you might be interested in. So in that light today, I want to include the audio from a conversation I had with uh, the folks at Go Local uh, Providence. Uh, They usually do a a Facebook um, live uh, show called uh, Go Local Live, and uh, we were discussing the coronavirus and various things associated with that as we've all been dealing with it. So I thought you might enjoy hearing that here.
1: Let's go to one of our favorites, Aaron Wren. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me back on.
1: Uh, Aaron, uh, used to live in Rhode Island, before that lived in Chicago, then was in Manhattan, and now in Indiana. Uh, one of the most interesting people and the biggest perspectives on how cities work in the country. Talk about what you're doing now.
0: Right. Well, uh, I, I will give myself some credit for having made the uh, wise and foresighted decision to move out of New York City uh, at, in December and move back to uh, Indianapolis. Uh, My wife and I are both from Indiana, and we have a two-year-old. So I moved back here, and I'm doing consulting work, uh, mostly for the local chamber of commerce here. One of the things we're very, very focused on, obviously, is helping small businesses, uh, which are really getting hammered. Uh, You just mentioned the PPP program. Um, But we also have our own local loan fund. Uh, I know that uh, Gina Raimondo has has done one in Rhode Island as well. So we're really all hands on deck working on helping small business navigate through the disruption Uh, and uh, and just enjoying being in a smaller city again. Uh, I like big cities, but I like smaller cities, too.
1: Um, Aaron, uh, let's talk about the PPP program. Listen, uh, the day it was going live, I think it was April 3rd, 10 o'clock in the morning, the SBA was opening up the portals. There were stories out there that Bank of America and other major financial institutions had literally tens and tens of millions of dollars worth of applications ready to go to drop into uh, the portal. And what happened was, it appears, in less than about, 11 days, all the money was scooped up. And some folks got the money that seems pretty questionable. Uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, the cap was supposed to be 5000000 million. They've, according to the Wall Street Journal, collected $20 million. Uh, Shake Shack, actually today, finally agreed to give back the $10 million they had scooped up. What went wrong with the PPP?
0: Well, I don't know that anything per se went wrong with it. Think about this from the perspective of the bank. So The way that the American system is set up is, you know, the SBA typically works through these partner institutions, these bank intermediaries. So if you're a bank and you have unlimited demand for paycheck protection programs, who are you going to prioritize? You're going to prioritize, one, you're going to prioritize your existing customers, right? That makes sense. And secondly, you're going to prioritize the larger customers and the larger loans. So it's not surprising to me that it was bigger customers, bigger existing customers of the banks that uh, ended up getting these loans. Now, having said that, when I hear about Shake Shack and Bruce Chris, I'm like, do these even meet the requirements to be a small business? I mean, the United States defines a small business, I think, as is, is anything with less than 500 employees. But I'm pretty sure these guys all have more than 500 employees. And so maybe – maybe they. I don't know exactly how they're counting it, but it does seem a little odd that some very large corporations – uh, seem to have scooped up quite a bit of cash. But I don't necessarily fault the banks. I think it's a totally rational business decision to focus on existing customers and bigger customers first. Uh,
1: the secretary of the treasury says he's got to deal with Congress for another, I think it's around $350 million, uh, $250 and then another 50 uh, in, the other, in the other funding program. Uh, that as I understand it will get gobbled up pretty quickly. Uh, there might be as much as a trillion dollars of remaining demand. Um, how does this help us? And is this enough money?
0: Yeah, well, one of the things to uh, keep in mind is there are multiple provisions of the CARES Act um, that target small businesses. So you've got this Paycheck Protection Program and these economic you know, disaster loans. But there's another option in which you can essentially defer a certain percentage of your payroll taxes uh, and uh, get for loan, get essentially forgiven for part of them. Uh, I think it's up to five thousand dollars per employee. So this would be like Social Security and the other types of payroll taxes you pay to the federal government.
1: Sure. So sure. those
0: you don't necessarily need to go through an application process for. Uh, just another provision of the act. So I think it is going to be super competitive to get this PPP loan, and who knows how much they might ultimately have to to put into it to make it happen. I don't know that we've seen seen the last of this. Um, but uh, I would also say there are other provisions of the CARES Act that might be beneficial to small businesses, even in the interim period um, while they are, you know, trying to get these uh, paycheck protection
1: loans. Uh, Aaron, uh, listen, you've been in Chicago, in Providence, in New York, now in Indiana. What do you think? How are the big cities going to perform against the smaller midsize cities? Uh, in in terms of what? economic performance, ability to rebound, ability to get workers back working?
0: Uh, I I think it's really interesting. It's very hard to predict the outcomes of a crisis. To me, the paradigm is 9-11. If you go back to 9-11, the first thing you probably would have predicted uh, as a result of 9-11 is it's really going to significantly hurt New York's future. New York is going to be a city that has Unique terrorism risks that are going to cause businesses to think twice about being in New York. Well, as it turns out, uh, yes, New York took a short-term hit, but the decade after 9/11 turned out to be better for New York than the decade before
1: 9/11. Yeah.
0: Right. So, uh, you know, the obvious and logical thing to say would be some of these big, dense cities where you you are a transit-dominated environment like New York, where it's very, very hard to maintain any sort of social distancing that people are going to start pricing in or thinking about essentially um, pandemic risk. Well, that may happen or it may not happen. It it does seem to be bizarre, um, the places that seem to have been hit the most versus not hit the most. Um, you know, there's a lot of debates about exactly what went down. So I, I, think it, I think it remains to be seen. But certainly in the short term, a place like New York, which is just seen a mass exodus of what you might call creative class type people. I know Rhode Island, there are a lot of second homeowners uh, yeah. from New Yorkers in Rhode Island. And that, you know, all these States like Florida and Rhode Island are like, you got to quarantine. If you come here from New York, uh, but even like young kind of 20 somethings, they all bolted out of the city. They want to stay with mom and dad or with like brothers and sisters in other cities. Uh, it's truly astonishing to me um, the extent to which um you know again call it the creative class of new york just basically left town and what i think this shows is um there's a pretty shallow commitment to the to the city on a part of some of those people i mean i would say you know kind of the working class neighborhoods the immigrant neighborhoods they're much more uh interestingly rooted in the city uh than some other folks and so it, it, it is interesting when you're essentially um most affluent classes are the least committed to your city
1: Right. right.
0: Um, That says that says something profound about about a place. Um, And I think it's not it's not healthy in the long term.
1: Um, uh, Working from home, you have an interesting piece that you wrote about working from home that, listen, in the short term, it's cool. It's fun. Maybe it's even more productive. But in the long term, it's potentially damaging to individuals careers because they lose their network. You've got to work really, really hard. To do individual phone calls to just your network of your mentors or your former mentors at your former employers, all those types of things that help galvanize and push up someone's career. Talk a little bit about that piece you wrote.
0: Yeah, well, I, you know, I've thought a lot about remote work basically since the days when I worked for a very large technology consulting and outsourcing firm. And the one thing I always just said is, once you've proven as, that a job can be done remotely and doesn't have to be in the office, why would someone? Why would you hire someone in the United States to do it when you can hire someone in a much lower cost country to do that job? Yeah. So, in essence, once you prove the job can be done remotely, you're already sort of halfway outsourced it um, overseas. But even but even internally, it's very easy to think, yes, I'll go home. I'm now I'm now so zooming with the people with my team. It's great. Uh, but what happens over time, over the longer term, you know, especially as you're no longer working with the people that you used to work with face to face in the office, and you now have people like you know there's a new boss who comes in, and you don't you don't, it wasn't like you were like shooting the breeze with him about the Patriots game, right, right. in the office like you used to. The, the personal relationships suffer. The personal dimension of it, you lose kind of the gossip, uh, the tacit knowledge. Uh, maybe you're less connected to um, other professional organizations in the city. So I think if you're going to work remotely, you really have to take care to constantly be upskilling yourself to make sure that you stay current on skills, and constantly be um, working on your network to make sure that you can find the next job, and that if anything happens to your current position, you're in a you're you're ready to go out and find a new one. And I think that's what happens over time. People who don't have a natural entrepreneurial natural um, kind of networking streak who just wants to kind of come in and, and do their job in the longer term, you might end up a little bit um, or kind of hurting yourself. So I think it's, it's definitely something to look at and particularly, you know, I mean, particularly this system. Yes. the system, the highest value segments of the economy today require face-to-face interaction. You can't do your job for very long without talking to people in person. Right. Yeah. It's, and that's just the nature. That's just the nature of the beast.
1: Yeah, Daryl West was on a couple of weeks ago from Brookings, and he made the point. Listen, this is going to expose vulnerabilities, and certain people in certain positions and jobs are going to maybe not get the opportunity to come back from this remote working. And he said, the people in organizations that make sure other people do their job may not have a position that mid-level sort of corporate position that oversees other teams' productivity may get forced out. Uh, He's obviously written a lot about the impact of AI, robotics on the workforce, uh, but this relative to corporate environments may be uh, lead to the shedding of a lot of positions across America.
0: Yeah, I think it very much could. I mean, every corporation is going to take advantage of the coronavirus disruptions in order to maybe they're they, you know make cuts, make layoffs, go through you know some type of performance management process, and say who do we want to keep, who do we not want to keep, because they can always kind of finger this and and not end up. Um, you know, n- not end up with maybe as many negative headlines or other things as it might be. So I do think it puts people at risk, even in large corporations. And again, what we've seen just in general is the rewards have been flowing to a uh, you know much smaller set of the population for, frank- frankly, a very long time. You know, twenty twenty five years. If you listen to Peter Thiel talk about why he left big law, you know, P- Peter Thiel originally went to Stanford Law School. Went to work in big law in New York. I think he was there two to three years. And he says, look, I saw that my generation was not going to see the same opportunities that the previous generation did. So at the law firms, right, it's not as good a deal to come in as an associate today as it used to be. It's like that in the consulting industry. You know, I entered into uh, what was then called Anderson Consulting in the early 90s. And there was no way I could have ever made the kind of money – That people 10 years older than me made so we've had this and this has only continued over time people who work in hedge funds today there are a lot fewer people getting rich in hedge funds as a percentage of the employees than used to so this has affected every part of the economy and it just continues to roll roll down and as you say right you get into these sort of vague middle
1: management positions um they're definitely very vulnerable Listen, in Rhode Island, you know Rhode Island. Rhode Island's historic for being first into recession and last out, but unemployment numbers are just dizzying here in the state. We're at about 220, the new numbers just came in this morning, 225. The total workforce going into this was 530,000, plus some gig workers, call it five, 575. We're talking about 230,000 Rhode Islanders out of work. 40% of the population. How does Rhode Island dig out of this mess?
0: Well, we don't know. I mean, there's really no precedent for simply saying we're just going to turn off, you know, a third or half of the economy and try to turn it back on again. It's really going to be a huge problem. And the consequences of this are going to percolate for decades into the future. For example, one of the, uh, you know, there's a lot of economic research making arguments that basically people who graduate in a recession suffer essentially a lifelong diminution in earnings. So for some of these college students who are coming out this year and expecting to move into great jobs and great careers, they may take a permanent hit to their income in, in the future. I mean, this is going to have consequences that we have not yet begun to fully comprehend and again, I, I think that, you know, we don't want to jump straight to the worst case scenario here. Right. America is a very resilient place. I think we can bounce back. Um, but, but, you know, there's a lot of things happening here that are um, that are going to have consequences uh, that, that we don't we don't know what they're, they're going to be. I think about all these people who, who had their internships um, canceled this summer, talking to a college class the other day. And people were very upset that their internships had gotten canceled. And like that's. Maybe the future job they would have had,
1: yeah, right? absolutely. And so, many other,
0: so many other things, and and so I, I, I really I do have a tremendous sense of worry. And of course, for state and local government, I mean, you know, so Rhode Island is not the most financially strong state.
1: Uh, Wait, really? Of, yeah, in terms <laughs> <What>? of uh, <laughs>
0: government finances, and um, I mean, this is one where I you know I will say the fact that Rhode Island very heavily the municipalities are very heavily dependent on property taxes. Yeah. actually renders them more fiscally resilient. States like Ohio that are where the localities are very income tax dependent or Oklahoma where they're very sales tax dependent are going to take much bigger hits. But I mean these budgets are just going to get completely blown up at the state at the at the state global level and could impact services. And so it's going to take quite a while to figure out. You know what this going latest
1: on. this latest funding for the ppp that's expected to work its way through congress this week i think is the fifth stimulus none mm-hmm. of the stimulus narrative is about bailing out the states at the federal level will they have to come to some realization at the federal level that they've got to give some relief to the states
0: uh, i think they will if you go back to the um, financial crash uh, a big part of the uh, stimulus package there i mean in fact one of the criticisms of the stimulus package is that it essentially just um paid to uh state and local government salaries and didn't really go to stimulate much right Uh, but there was a lot of assistance to state and local government and i think that there will be um in the future now where i see the big i don't think there's going to be a huge dispute um over providing assistance where i think that there's going to be uh a big controversy, though, is states like Illinois that have big pension issues, maybe even Rhode Island, yeah. You know, they're going to be saying, look, our pensions took a hit because of stocks and, and, and all. They're going to try to get a pension bailout. So basically there's places like Illinois that have very little hope of paying off their pensions right. and are looking at decades of, of basically pain to pay off uh, legacy pensions, and they're definitely going to be angling for a bailout. And so I think that's where – uh, that's where I think it, it becomes a little challenging to see what will what will happen. Uh, but I do think there's going to have to be some assistance to states and localities because you know Indiana is a very very fiscally strong state, essentially very you know essentially no debt and you know very little pension issue and two billion in reserves. I mean you'll blow through two billion in reserves, you know, in an instant when tax revenues are coming in.
1: Yeah, going Go ahead, into sir. this. Yeah, going into this. To this, Rhode Island was looking before any of this hit a two hundred million dollar deficit in this right. year. Now, you know, the number is getting kicked around. There's five hundred million dollars or more in this fiscal year, and just an absolute unknown of what the impact is for the 2021 fiscal year, um, especially with things like the lottery just gone, closed up. Casinos are closed for yeah. three months. Right. Uh,
0: So, I mean, I I can't imagine that there's not going to be fiscal assistance. I mean, right now, I think all the um, federal aid to states and local governments has been specifically for uh, coronavirus response uh, reimbursements. Uh, But some sort of fiscal aid, you know, almost has to be forthcoming. I mean, I don't know how some of these states are even still in business. Like, Illinois uh, had $4 million, like 20 minutes of government spending in its rainy day fund. (laughs) <laughs> so they're going to be running out and this place is going to be running out of cash in like no time and that's why the federal reserve has basically said it's going to start buying state and local bonds right, right? because essentially the federal reserve is just you know going to loan these people the money to keep going because they're not going to have enough cash
1: um, what do you look for over the next uh, 30 60 90 days
0: Well, I think we already see that there's starting to be pushbacks against uh, these shutdowns. Um, So you end up with, um, you know, there's been protests in Michigan where, candidly, the governor, um, you know, made some, you know, kind of uh, orders that didn't totally make sense. Like saying you can't drive between your your main house and your vacation house um, if they're both in Michigan. But somebody from out of state can still drive to their vacation home in Michigan and little things like that. You can be on a boat if it doesn't have a motor, but not if it does have a motor. Uh, the fact that you can you can buy marijuana, but you can't buy seeds. The quip yeah. I heard is you can buy the weed, but not the seed. All right, right, and, and so so I think there are going to be more. Um, pe- people are already talking, uh, e- you know, even uh, governors who've been very aggressive, like Mike DeWine of Ohio, are already talking about, you know, May 1st, we're going to start incrementally lifting this. And so I think there's going to be tremendous debate over what happens um, around lifting some of these restrictions and then just watching to see what happens in terms of what does that do to cases? Is there like a, does it spike back up or does it not spike back up, right? Do, do masks do it? So I think, I think watching them and one of the things we see is very clearly in many places fell far short of the hospitalization and ICU utilization that was predicted. A lot of these fields, you know, Washington state, sent back ventilators. They're closing right. the field hospital they just built. So it turned out, you know, people were scared because of what happened in Italy. And the hospitals were just completely overwhelmed. Well, here, you know, New York City has had some challenges, but in most places the hospitals are essentially empty. Yeah. You know, it, you know, and, and even, I think in Indiana, like on Friday, you know, 23% of ICU beds in the state were in use for coronavirus and uh, 16% of ventilators. So, uh, the real question is going to be what's going to happen to that when when these things start, and there's, there's going to be a lot of debates around that, and like, how do we get out of the situation that we're in, particularly when the virus is not gone and there's no vaccine, and and so it's going to be a source of controversy o- over time. And I think it's just we just there's just a lot we don't know uh, 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 about this. Like, why why did New York City, you know, right. have, have this particular thing when you know other big cities around the world that you know, like Hong Kong did, you know, dense, so uh, we don't know, there's a lot we don't know, and so we're going to be constantly adapting, but I do think you're already seeing sort of, you're already seeing public patience with, um, I think, some of the shutdowns coming to an end, particularly in places where there aren't a lot of cases, so people on Twitter were showing pictures of, like, the 10 out in L.A. that's already, like, gridlocked again because people are out, Now they're reopening the beaches in Florida, it's like, so I think people, you know, the patients are starting to come to an end in some quarters. So we'll just we'll just see what happens with it. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not a public health expert, so I'm just doing what I'm told and trying to help small businesses. But, you know, we are seeing more and more kind of, you know, unrest out there, if you will. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, nobody, anybody can predict claims they can predict the future can't do it because nobody Correctly predicted even the last two months, right? Right. So we, we shouldn't be too. We should be ready. We should be ready to make a change and to adapt to changing circumstances. And I think the most important thing I would urge people is to, you know, stay productive. And um, you know, now is not the time for you know your petty political fights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we can put that on hold for a little bit uh while we while we try to get through this, so uh, you know i would I would just suggest more cooperation than um uh, you know than uh, than conflict to the extent possible uh
1: Aaron Wren, thank you so much for skyping in always insightful uh from Indiana. uh greatly appreciate it for everybody else uh, United way on at eleven Dr. Michael Fine at twelve and Governor Raimondo at one. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We'll see you back in just a little while. thank you.